All right, so if you have a Bible, you can make your way to Acts chapter 16. We're preaching through um, the latter half of the book of Acts this summer. If you don't have a Bible, the scripture is written in your um, <clears throat> bulletin, and it'll give me a delight to read it um, to you. Let me uh, set the stage a little bit. So we come to the city of Philippi. Every week, you know, the gospel is going to a different town, a different community, a different city. And it's the first time uh, it's been there, right? So this is the first time the gospel goes to Europe. So this is a key to the salvation of almost every person in this room, right? Almost every person in this room is a product of the gospel going to Europe. And then the gospel going from Europe to the New World, to, uh, uh, to our country, and then ultimately through Europe and our country to go, going to Latin America and to Africa and to Asia and all the way around um, the world. So the gospel reaches Europe. And what I'm about to read, it goes to a place, if you're familiar with geography at all, there's the Aegean Sea. Turkey is on one side of the Aegean Sea. Modern day Greece is on the other side of that sea. And right up at the top they meet. So Turkey is uh, Asia. Israel is Asia. You may not know that. Um, and, uh, and Europe is Greece, and on that side, and right up at the top is a place called Macedonia. Macedonia got swallowed by Greece in, in modern times, but just in the last year or two, Macedonia is again an independent country. So if you watch the Olympics, here comes the Macedonian flag. Now we largely know Macedonia through history by a king named Philip. That's why this town that Paul and, his, and Silas and Timothy and Luke is called Philippi. It's named after an ancient king of Macedonia. His name was Philip. We know his son better historically. His son's name was Alexander, and we call him Alexander the Great, around 350 B.C., so about 400 years before um, um, this uh, account. And by the way, if you ever get to go there, they discovered recently the grave of Philip. Um, you think about how old that is, 2,400 years old, never disturbed, never discovered, and you can go tour it. It's one of the most amazing things you'll ever see. Um, we did it on our last church trip uh, there. So um, why did I tell you all that, other than bragging that I got to go there once? Um, um, why do I tell you all that? Because we're, you know, Christianity isn't a philosophy. Christianity isn't a set of, of, uh, of sort of truisms. Christianity isn't a, a way of life. Um, Christianity is fact. It's historical fact. It took place in history. These things happened. Um, and you can go there. You can go there today. You can go to Philippi today, and you can stand where Paul was dragged away uh, by the crowd. You can go to the very places. Like I said, you can go to the tomb um, of, uh, of uh, the, the, the king of the Macedonians. So you got it? So why don't you stand, and uh, I'll read from Acts chapter 16, starting at the 13th verse. Paul and his companions set foot in Europe, and here's what happens. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we, were suppo where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her whole household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. I like that. She would not take no for an answer. Now, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. 
She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, imagine, this is one of the founders of the church of Jesus Christ, and he got annoyed. I had grandkids this week. Let's just say I was apostolic at moments. So Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. And when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them uh, to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. They're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison, fastening their feet in the stocks. Now about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were open. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. The jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing his prisoners had escaped. And Paul cried out, Do not harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Notice that. That's the second time we saw that in this passage, right? Lydia believed, and she was baptized, and her whole family. The jailer believed, and he was baptized, and his whole family. Now, who would the family have been composed of in, in a culture like this? It would have been the grandparents. It would have been these people. It would have been their children. It would have been babies. It would have been the grandbabies. Everybody in the household was baptized, right? Um, and, but it says in the scriptures, then they brought them up into his house. The jailer brought Paul and Silas to his house, set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that the jailer believed in God. This is the reading of God's holy, infallible, and inspired word. You may be seated, please. So have you been awakened? Have you been Awakened. Guy Kawasaki was one of the <clears throat> founders of Apple, turned uh, Apple into the iconic worldwide powerhouse of a brand that it was. And he wrote these words, human beings are not simply information processing machines. We are souls. We are souls who have been deadened by something and require being awakened. This isn't a Christian book, he wrote. It's a business book, he wrote. When he said, we are souls, souls who have been deadened by something and require being awakened. Ten words spoken 2,000 years ago have awakened people all over the earth ever since. Believe 
in the Lord Jesus, and you shall be saved. Ten words have awakening power. Listen, this is the, the Apostle Paul, right, who delivers this message so long ago. It's his very story, right? Paul hates Christians. He's annoyed at them. He hates um, uh, Jesus. This idea that Jesus is resurrected from the dead is folly. He's rounding up people who believe it, including women and children, leading them to their death when, guess what? The risen Christ visits Paul, knocks him down on the ground. Saul, Saul, he says, why are you persecuting me? Right? Saul meets the risen Christ. It's hard to deny the resurrection when you meet Jesus alive, right? Saul is awakened. Have you been? Lydia was awakened. A slave girl was awakened. A jailer was awakened. There was no Christianity in their culture. They never heard anything like this. They were awakened. They became followers of Jesus. So I was converted when I was a little child, a little boy. But I can remember times of awakening in my life. I remember when I was about 15 years old, somebody got the idea to do a Miami youth crusade. And they brought in some preacher from Georgia. And, uh, and that was their idea of a youth crusade, to have the preacher preach every night. And uh, my dad did what gives dads great delight. He said, you have to go. You have to go the first night, and if you're as miserable as I think you will be, I'll probably make you go the second night just for the heck of it, just for my pleasure. And uh, he said, but if you can't stand it after that, you won't have to go. I went the first night. His name was Bob Mounts, Dr. Bob Mounts from Dalton, Georgia, and he preached on Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart, for out of your, your heart is the wellspring of life. Guard, I say, guard your heart. And I hung on every word that preacher said. I never heard the word of God explained like he explained it. I came back every night. The first night I was there, I sat in the back row of the balcony with my back to the wall, ready to play and cut up with my friends. I went every night, and I, I bought the, every tape there was of his messages, and I listened to them for years. There was an awakening. I, went out, I never heard anybody preach like that. Um, I can remember when um, I read the book Knowing God by J.I. Packer and thinking, I want to know Jesus like this, like he describes in this book. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, I profess. Yeah, it's historical truth, but I want to know him. I want to know God. I remember being in the Philippines with my um, uh, oldest son, and uh, he was but in, in middle school, and, um, and seeing these Anglo college students there and, and asking the locals, who are these college students uh, they, were, they were making their way around in the slum, in the barrios, in the, in the, um, among the poorest of the poor, um, um, people who are squatters on, on land. They didn't even own it. Uh, I said, oh, they live there. They live there with the people. Why do these American college students live there? Because they're Christians. Because they want to bring the gospel of Jesus to the poorest people they can find anywhere on the earth. And they live with them. They do life with them. And something awakened inside of me to say, I want to give my life away like they are. Have you ever been awakened? Awakened by the Spirit of God? Makes your life new? I can remember thinking, maybe I ought to be a preacher when I was in college. Problem was, I'd I didn't meet any preachers I liked. I didn't know any preachers I liked. They were weird. And some of you are shaking your head, and a disturbing number of you are like, getting that. 
And, uh, and I remember having a, a, a pastor teach one of my classes in college, and he was teaching us about theology. He was teaching us about God. And I remember when he was writing on the chalkboard, sometimes he would just quiver, and I realized he was weeping because he was so taken by what he was uh, about to teach us. It so gripped him personally. And I remember sitting there thinking, gosh, if that's what it's like to be a pastor, I would like to be a pastor if I could be like him. Have you ever been awakened? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Ready? Here we go. First point, you got a sermon outline? Let's rock and roll. You know, they were awakened by God's inclusivity. And when the gospel went to Europe, what happened? There were no Christians in Europe. The gospel had never been to Europe. And Paul and Barnabas on the, on the, um, on, uh, the Sabbath go in and look for a synagogue. That's what they did in every town. They went to the Jewish synagogue. That was their starting point. They were Jews, converted to Christianity. They'd find some common ground there. So they went to find the synagogue. There was no synagogue. You had to have 10 Jews, for their 10 male Jews, for there to be a synagogue. But they found some women who were converted to Judaism, uh, and they were down by the riverside, and they were praying there. And Paul, as a rabbi, knew that he'd be asked to speak. And when um, Paul was uh, asked to speak, he, um, he presented the gospel. And, uh, and there was a woman there named Lydia. Lydia was a seller of purple fabric. She was a, 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 a fabric merchant. Uh, she was a retailer. She was wealthy. Purple was the most exquisite. It was the most expensive of fabrics. It was very exotic. It was very um, rare. She was a wealthy woman. We know there's no mention of a man in her account. Um, she um, had a house big enough that when she could invite these four itinerant um, um, evangelists to all come live there, um, this is a prominent, powerful woman, and Paul gives the good news, and she found Christianity to be credible, compelling, attractive, and she believed she was awakened. This rich businesswoman was awakened. She and her household were baptized, and she was adamant that Paul and his companions not just come to dinner at her house, but live in her house. As long as they were in Philippi, her house became the epicenter of gospel ministry in that community. Got it? Lydia's awakened rich businesswoman. Then Paul and Silas, we, we learn, uh, are on their way uh, again to worship, and they're beset upon by a slave girl. This slave girl is demon-possessed, so she's following them around. She won't leave them alone. She's harassing them. She's shrieking. She's um, uh, shouting. She's calling out. She's a menace. Because the people in the town, remember, they're, they, they've got a message. They want credibility. And the people in town would watch this um, slave girl and say, if that's what Paul's message is all about, no thank you, right? We don't want anything to do with this kind of craziness. And the Bible says that the Apostle Paul got annoyed. Now, you understand what's happening, by the way. She's, she's like a, um, uh, a fortune teller, right? She's, a, she's uttering a Delphic oracles. She's, um, she's telling people's future. It's like uh, reading their, um, their palms, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, a card, reading the cards. Um, and, uh, and men own her. They're profiting off of her. She's being trafficked. She's being pimped out by these men. And uh, she's the one harassing them. And finally, Paul's had enough, and he, it says he's annoyed. Um, 
And, and if you really study the word, what it really means is that Paul has had enough. This woman is being tortured. He's had enough of the evil of Satan being manifested in this woman. He's had enough of the suffering that this woman, he's had enough of these greedy men who are using her. And he spins around and points at her and says, in the name of the Lord Jesus, he commands the demon to come out of her. And she who is dead is alive. She's made new. She is awakened. She is set free. Got it? Isn't this awesome? Lydia, a slave woman. And, you know, that, that didn't really work out well for Paul and Silas because those who were profiteering from this woman weren't happy. They lost their cash cow, you know, and they, um, uh, they, they went into the town. And you notice immediately they slurred these foreign visitors. They said, these what? What did they call them? Jews. See, anti-Semitism isn't a new thing. It's, it's not something from the last couple hundred years. It's always been there. These Jews, these foreigners, these outsiders. They, now, remember, what there's, what's their anger at, really? Money, right? They lost their money. They lost their source of income. But they don't say that. They, they didn't say these people are, making, uh, are economically disadvantaging us. No, it's these foreigners, these wicked, these, these outsiders are coming. They're preaching religions that, that no good Roman would ever uh, adhere to. And uh, they rile up the crowd, and the crowd sets on them, and they are getting beaten. Their clothes are ripped off of them. They are going to be stomped to death. And they are taken and, and, and actually saved by being put into the jail, where they are taken to the inner part of the jail, and they are locked in stocks, uh, chained to the wall, their ankles chained, a bloody mess. And at midnight, we find them doing what? They're praying, and they're singing hymns, and it says all the prisoners were listening. And uh, in that part of the world, they have this thing called earthquakes. They just had one in uh, Afghanistan, killed a couple thousand people just a couple weeks ago. If you're in Turkey, you're in Afghanistan, you're in Greece, you're anywhere in that part of the world, that's a, a, a fact of life there. And sure enough, an earthquake comes, and uh, the jail doors open, the um, shackles fall off, the walls crumble, and the jailer rushes out and he takes his sword and he's ready to kill himself because a Roman, he would have been a retired Roman soldier in this position, knows that there's honor and duty. And if you're a, a keeper of prisoners and any of them escapes in the Roman ethos, then you have to bear the punishment the prisoner deserved. You have to bear the punishment. And so he's ready to do his duty, to fall on his sword. Paul says, stop, stop, everybody's still here. Nobody's left. And the man falls on his face before Paul and says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your entire household. And so he, um, he uh, brings Paul, uh, washes their wounds, brings them to his house. Paul speaks to the entire family and he and his entire family are baptized. Now, this is fascinating, right? There are probably... Many, many people converted in Philippi. Why are these three pointed out? One thing it shows us is the utter inclusiveness of God's mercy and grace, right? God is awakening people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Listen, there, there are no racial bounds to the church of Jesus Christ, to the family of Jesus Christ. Lydia is an Asian. The jailer is European. He's Roman. And the, the slave girl, who knows what she is? She's some kind of immigrant, probably bought her off a boat in the harbor, you know. Um, there's no economic boundaries. Lydia is rich. The jailer is blue-collar. 
And uh, the slave woman, she doesn't even own herself, right? There's no social um, classes in the church of Jesus Christ. Lydia is a pillar of the community. The jailer is a common laborer, and the slave girls like property in a, in a freak show at the circus, right? And they're all one family. Do you understand the, how wild that is? There is nothing in the Greco-Roman world that could accomplish anything like that, that those kind of people would have been gathered together into one worshiping community of brothers and sisters. That people did not have that kind of, of uh, interaction with each other, connection across those kind of boundaries. And here it was, instantly, because they were awakened and something totally new happened in the world. Do you understand that Christianity is unlike anything that's ever come into the world? Hinduism. Do you know where it is? It's in India. That's the only place for, for the most part in the world it is. Islam, where is it? It's in the Middle East. Every world religion is where it started. It has not crossed cultural boundaries. Confucianism in Asia, right? Buddhism in Asia. And so it goes for every world religion geographically bound, except for what? What are the most Christian nations on the earth? Don't say the United States, right? Not anymore. It's the most Christian places on earth. China, there's more Christians in China than anywhere in the world. Korea is the highest percentage probably of Christians of anywhere else. Africa, by and far, has more um, Christians than any continent in the world. South America, all over the world. You go to island nations, you go to Samoa, you go to Alaskan villages, and you will find worshipers of Jesus Christ because that's how inclusive God is. It's the Tower of Babel reversed, isn't it? People brought together. And that's what every church is supposed to be a picture of. The gospel you find out that the gospel, this good news, is for the Ivy Ligger, and it's for the Withalakuchi Votech um, guy who's learning how to be a welder, right? The gospel's for people who work on Wall Street and people who work at Wendy's. For the Silicon Valley tech entrepreneur and the Iowa farmer, right? The gospel is for the moral and upright, and the gospel is for the immoral and the broken, right? It's the inclusive heart of God. You remember we talked about just a couple weeks ago that every good, upstanding Jewish man, when he woke up in the morning, would say, God, I thank you that I was not born a woman or a slave or a Gentile. Who are the three converts we just read about? A woman, a slave, and a Gentile, right? You don't think that Luke didn't pick those three stories? To make a point, right? That this is what the family of Jesus Christ um, looks like. Listen, we experienced it right here at this church at the very beginning. Our first convert was a guy who lived in a trailer. He rode a motorcycle. Uh, he, uh, he was from Detroit. He was covered with tattoos. He had like six dogs and nine cats, and his trailer smelled like it. Um, he was a chain smoker. I remember trying to read the Bible with him at his table, trying to explain the Bible. Sitting there, he had a cup of coffee. You know, this is, remember, you know, people from up north, they drink coffee at three, they drink it at five, they drink it at seven, they drink it at ten at night, you know, with a cigarette and the Bible, you know. We're going through it. I still remember the day he knocked on my door on a Saturday morning. I opened the door and he said, I'm in. I'm in. He had his hog pulled up into my driveway. I'm in, right? The next convert in our church, you know, he went to Duke University. <laughs> he was a Dukey. And um, his, um, his wife, they both came from uh, uh, private schools. They were both uh, 
well-dressed, uh, well-educated. He went on to work in Singapore a great part of his career. Uh, he ran, went back and ran the whole Duke University Medical Center eventually. I mean, they're so smart, they adopted three Asian kids. They're, um, you know, uh, those are our first two converts. There you get it, right? I remember when I was in graduate school, I got to preach regularly at a little church in Utica, Mississippi. When I went there, there were nine people attending, a little country church. But a revival broke out. When I left, there were 17. Um, so, so proud of that. Um, in these little towns, I discovered that they had revivals. That's what they had. And every church wanted to have a revival. So the Baptist had a revival, and the Methodist had their revival, and the Church of God had their revival, and everybody had a revival. Well, this little church, Presbyterian church, they hadn't had a revival in years, quite obviously. And... Um, and so they said, well, can we do a revival, our own? And uh, that's what they called, you know, meeting. And what they did was, it was everybody in the town was bound to go to everybody else's revival. So all the Methodists, if they did it, you know, they did this. They went to the Methodists and invited them and the Baptists. And they were all coming. They're all coming. Our church is going to be full again. Uh, but their idea of a revival was you gathered all the Christians together from the town. You had a revival. So I, I, I got some um, stuff printed up and made some posters and, and I went to town, drove out there, and uh, a woman called me up. She's very disturbed. She said, I saw you at that little honky-tonk out by the highway on the edge of town. Pastor, that's not a place for pastors. And, um, and uh, I said, well, you know what I was doing there? She said, that's what I'm calling about. I said, uh, I was putting up a poster for the revival. She said, you're doing what? She said, Pastor, you don't want to put a poster there. What if one of them comes? <laughs> right? Listen, there is no Christian type, is there? You might be listening to this podcast and say, I'm just not the Christian type. There's no such thing as the Christian type. All there are in this world are souls that are deadened by sin and rebellion that Jesus makes alive. Some have been made alive. Some not yet. Which are you? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you struggle with. I don't care how much you swear. You can be made alive. You, you can be in the family of God. Got it? So not only is it inclusive, but gosh, the, um, the pursuit of God, I want you to see we're awakened by his... I mean, how are these people awakened? How are these three uh, in Philippi awakened? Because we have the idea that to become a Christian, a lot of people say, I like the idea of it. I mean, they seem like they're decent people, but I don't want to be a Christian. I want to drink what I want to drink. I want to do what I want to do. I, wanna, uh, I don't want to go to church on, on weekends. I don't want to go to church all the time. I don't, certainly don't want to give my money. I... I you know, to be a Christian, you got to clean up your act. To be a Christian, you got to discipline yourself. You got to straighten up your life. You've got to, you got to, there's a lot of rules you got to obey, right? I got to do all that to be a Christian. Let me ask you something. These three people that got awakened, did they do anything? Did they do anything? No, God did it. God opened Lydia's heart, right? Um, these three people contributed. Now, did the slave girl do something? No. God, by the power of God, the demon was cast out of her. 
Did the jailer do anything? No, he just happened to have two bloody men thrown into his prison and an earthquake happened, right? God's at work. God saves. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw what? All men to myself. Jesus came into the world to seek and save the lost. One thing you know, if you have been awakened, God did it. You didn't clean up your own life. You didn't clean up your own act. God does it. God works. God saves. Do you know what that means? That means that uh, we ought to be wildly uh, encouraged. It shouldn't produce passivity. Okay, well, God does it. Good. I don't have any evangelistic responsibility for anybody else, right? Because God will do it. I don't have any power in me anyway. No, it's just the opposite. It, uh, we should walk confidently towards people who need Jesus, aware that our Father is able and willing to rescue because he loves to set people free. He loves to awaken those who are dead. He loves to rescue. Listen, there could be a better illustration of that than this very church. Um, almost 40 years ago, God told a man and his wife to come to this community. That guy happened to be me. And the problem with it, the assignment was go to a place and start a church. Now, to start a church, you have to lead people to faith in Christ. I had never led anyone to faith in Christ in my life. They asked me to come and do this. That would be like saying, I want you to go and be a brain surgeon, but I've never, I've never done it. I haven't even been to medical school, you know. Go start a church, lead people to faith in Jesus Christ. I had to let... I, and I'm, I'm an introvert. I don't meet people in the bread aisle in the grocery store and say, the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. I know you need this. There's something you need. This will solve your hunger, but Jesus is the one for your soul. You know, I don't need, you know people don't like me. I don't like people. Um, how in the world could this church um, be produced by somebody like me? And, uh, and, and you know, um, I, I remember when the kids were little, we went to Taco Bell one time, and, and uh, before them, you know, we got our food, we sat at the table, we held hands, and we prayed. And, and I'd just say, if you're ever in Taco Bell, pray before you eat. That's, it's really important in Taco Bell that you pray uh, for safety and for your colon. And um, so um, we prayed, and, and some elderly couple saw us, and, and they came over, and it was just me and the kids. Diane was at home, and and uh, they were so impressed. Oh, what a lovely young family. Nobody does that anymore. That's so wonderful. And they gave all the kids money. You know what I thought? I prayed. <laughs> Not, nothing. And uh, so we, we, um, we went home. Of course, they were just buzzing about this. And they had to tell their mother what happened at Taco Bell. We prayed. And some people came up and gave them money. And uh, they were so excited to tell her. And uh, then came the telltale question for my wife. Did you invite them to church? And at that moment, my youngest daughter rose up and presented the most damning defense I've ever received. <laughs> she said, no, he didn't invite them. He's not like you, Mom. Seven Rivers Church is evidence that God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick, right? <laughs> you see, it's a courage. How do you walk into darkness? I got a, I, I got a daughter and a son-in-law sitting in the back of the room right now that, that, that live in a, a ministry, do ministry in Orlando in a, in a very difficult setting, right? It would be very easy to, 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 after 10 years of ministry, there to say, what in the world are we doing with our life? Does anybody ever survive from this neighborhood 
Does anybody get changed? Is there going to be fruit for this? Is, is this? And listen, they're not the only ones. Lots of people, right? You might have a kid that's so far from God, you think there's, there's nothing. There's no hope. To believe there's no hope means you're more religious than you are a Christian. Because religion says that person, there has to be change that comes outside of them. Christianity says what? You know, the, 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 the religion says that change has to come from within them. Christianity says, no, God can just do it. You know, um, Frederick Douglass, the famed abolitionist, had been a slave as a child, became the uh, voice for abolition in the North, 1850s, before the war between the states, before the Civil War, and, and uh, Douglass was so discouraged. He, I, I mean, he, he, he spoke his despair I mean, the, the monstrousness of slavery, the, the political energy behind it, the economic behind it, the, 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 the whole thing, uh, it'll never change. It, uh, slavery will never go away. We're not making any progress. And Sojourner Truth was there. Sojourner Truth was an African-American woman. She was six feet tall. So they said she had a voice like a foghorn. And she said, Frederick, is God dead? That's all. And he remembered the power of God. You know those words are on her tombstone? That's all. Sojourner truth. Is God dead? Um, let me tell you something. Um, I got the privilege of um, teaching my um, grandkids in Texas. We're teaching, uh, teaching them the Apostles' Creed on a Zoom call the other day. We were talking about the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father, what? Almighty. I believe in God the Father Almighty. He can do anything. So they're on South Padre Island in Texas. They went uh, to, the, to the northern end of the island. There's just dunes there. There's no people. They went down there for the sunset. She and her boys, really cool thing Mama's doing. And only Mama locks the key in the car. And uh, so there they are all the way out there. The sun has set. It's totally dark. The key's locked in the car. There's no cell tower uh, access out there at that end of the island. There she is. Her phone won't work. They've tried everything. They've, they've kicked the doors. They've pulled on the doors. They've done this. They've done that. They've tried everything uh, to get a door in that car uh, to open. She's um, thinking, how far can I walk away to try to get a signal? Do I bring the, you know, the, there's the panic is starting to set in. Finally, she yanks in the door one more time and it opens, and the boys come charging out of the darkness and say, it's a miracle! It's a miracle! Mom, we were praying that God would just open the door, and he did. Now, what do you think about that? Was it really a miracle? Some kind of satellite thing happened with these cars and sent a signal and the door, you know. Is it so hard to believe that God can open a car door <laughs> if he opened your heart when you were dead and made you alive? So go. Go with the gospel. God's not dead, right? And that's the last point. Really, we're awakened by this mission. We get to tell the story of God's awakening grace, don't we? Woody Harrelson was in a movie called The Messenger some years ago. He had the, the uh, job nobody would want to have, right? Uh, in the military where you have to drive onto the military base with that telegram from the, you know, the secretary of the army. 
um, regrets to inform you, you know. I think it was said in the time of the Vietnam War, driving up to the house of a woman who answers the door. Two years ago, she stood at the altar with uh, her soldier husband. She's holding his, their little baby in her arms, and she's going to be told that he's not coming home. He's dead. What a job. Imagine you do that, and then you drive to another house, then you drive to another house, and you do that every day. Guess what we get to do? We get to drive up to people's houses who are dead and tell them that they can be alive. The exact opposite. We get to walk into a world and found people, find people who are bound and tell them they can be free. Find people who are lost and tell them that there's a home where they'll be welcomed and loved and accepted. <laughs> this is good, right? What a job. Who gets to do that job? We do. We get to tell the story. Paul walked into Philippi, and who did he discover? A woman who was religious, Lydia. She read the Old Testament. She knew that God said that through Abraham, somebody would come who would bless the whole earth. She knew that the Mosaic law was beautiful, but nobody could keep the Ten Commandments, right? As soon as God gave it to them, they're down there uh, making an idol and, and having a sexual orgy at the base of it, right? Um, she knew that, uh, that there was an atonement system. You, you could bring birds, you could bring a, a bull um, or, or a lamb to be slaughtered in your stead, but that couldn't really forgive the sins of people. Killing an animal didn't really cover our transgressions. So what was the answer? How could everyone, anyone ever be right with God? And Paul walks into our world and says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the promised one to Abraham who will bless the whole earth. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He kept every law for us that we can't keep ourselves. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the fulfillment. And Lydia is set free from the bondage of religion. Do you know how many people go to church who are bound? Or think, you know how many people religious in the world? You ever see the, 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 the pilgrimages of the Muslims? Millions of them circling around there in the Hajj, you know, circling around in Medina, um, bound by, if I, can keep the, if I can keep the rules, then maybe I can have the love of the Almighty. It's not just Islam. It's in churches everywhere. People are bound by religion. They know nothing of the freedom of the gospel. I was teaching in the pastor's class not long ago, and I look in the back, and there's two elderly ladies, and they're weeping. I'm thinking, Cortez, you're so stupid. What did you say this time? You make old ladies cry. And the class was over, and I walked up, and I said, what's going on with you guys? And they said, we're kind of mad because we've been going to church our whole life. And in fact, a good time of our life, we went to church every single day. And we've been taught that God's on top of the mountain and we had better devote our entire life to climbing that mountain step by step by step to hope someday we could get up to God. And you know what he told me? Is that God, we can't get up the mountain. God came down to us. That's why Jesus came down to earth, right? It's not we are climbing Jacob's ladder. That song we sang as kids, it's a lie. We don't climb Jacob's ladder. The story in the Bible is the angels are coming down out of heaven to us. It's God who comes to us. God does it. And we get to go to people who are bound by religion and say, you are free. You are free indeed. Um, how many are trapped like the slave girl, right? Trapped in loveless marriages, trapped in addictions, trapped in depression, trapped in a retirement that lacks purpose. 
And we get to give them Jesus and hope and purpose, right? How about that? I, can, I hope that comes awake in you. You got life. You got the bread of life to hand out to the hungry. You don't have to be good at it. God does it. He awakens people. You don't. So how do we speak to a world that won't listen to Christians? We get to tell the story, but we also get to live it. So what impressed a jailer in Philippi? Is these two beat up men, bloody, are singing at midnight. They're filled with joy. Listen, the world has no category for that. The world has no category for joy in the midst of adversity. You've seen it. The secular hardened people have no category to explain it. It's a powerful... Remember on that show, uh, America's Got Talent or something, Simon Cowell, you know Simon Cowell with the scowl? Um, he, um, uh, this girl gets up there to sing in the talent show. She's as skinny as a rail. They find out she's skinny for a reason. She's dying of cancer. She has terminal cancer. Her name's Nightbird. And she gets up and she sings so beautifully. And you remember the message of her song? It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. She sang about her security in Jesus. And by the time she's done, the crowd erupts. And Simon the cynic is weeping. Because there's no defense for it, is there? To people who in the midst of adversity have joy. You know the problem with the church in America? What's the posture of the church in America as it looks at our culture today? The church of America, especially on social media, is what? Angry. Anger. Angry posts. Paul and Barnabas got beat to a pulp in their culture, and they sang for joy. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are weapons to advance the gospel, right? And not only that, in the middle of adversity, right? It's, it's when you have joy. It's sacrificial living, right? The choice of sacrificial um, living. The way that, that Lydia opens her home, right? The way that the jailer washes their wounds. The way that um, um, the gospel goes forth, um, uh, through sacrificial, Paul and Barnabas are willing to get beat to a pulp because they have such good news for the world to know. The world has no category for it. William Willimon was the dean of the chapel at Duke University, Methodist pastor. And he said that he was called to the bedside of a, a woman who had just given birth. Her husband was there. The doctor was trying to tell them that the baby was a Down syndrome. They hadn't known Pretty devastating. Not only that, the baby had a severe respiratory infection. And the doctor said to them, we can treat the infection, the baby will get well, but here's what I recommend. Let the infection take its course. No treatment. Um, let nature take its course here and the baby will die. And the woman said, did I just hear you right? You can treat our child and the, and the baby will be fine. It'll get over that infection. But you think we should let the baby die. And he kind of turned to the pastor like these poor ignorant people. Pastor, you've got to help them. You know, they have no idea that having a handicapped child uh, ruins marriages. It's very difficult for the marriage. And, uh, and not only that, it, it has a 
profound negative effect on the children because um, their parents' attention is going to be, parents are going to be exhausted by caring for this um, needy child. So, you know, th these poor people, they're in, the, they're in the moment. You need to help them see that they can't bear this kind of adversity. And the woman at that point rose up in the bed and she said, are you kidding me? She said, I got three children right now. They've never known a day in their, they live in America. They've never known a day in their life where they knew adversity. They haven't, uh, they got food to eat. They live in an air conditioned house. Uh, they've never been afraid. Everything's provided for them. Do you know the very thing they need the most? Adversity, right? Uh, our family needs a mission. God's just given our entire family a mission. They're going to share in it with us. We're going to do this together. So you're kindly dismissed, right? Do you realize Christians speak and act in ways that the world doesn't understand, but the world marvels when they see joy in the midst of hardship, when they see sacrificial living. Do you know how many people have been adopted by God's people? Do you know how many thousands of pregnancy centers have been started across America without one dime of government money? People donating their money, sacrificial living, God's people opening their homes and their hearts to the broken in culture. Oh, man. Have you been awakened to it? We get to live the welcoming love of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, once our souls were deadened, but by God's grace, we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have been saved. Amen. Jesus, would it be so, even today, that the awakening power of your love for us and your grace would cause something to happen to us to say, I want to know you. I want to be in this new family. I want to live with purpose. I want to have joy, even in adversity. So Jesus, come and do, come and make us alive, just like you did a slave girl 2,000 years ago, a jailer, a regular guy, a wealthy woman. You made them new. Make us new, we pray. Amen.